<laughs> Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne of grace. We can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need as we reach out and reach up and worship you and praise your holy name. So, Lord, we honor you and we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. Thank you, Lord, for health, healing, and wholeness. Thank you, Lord, for a new year, for new things, for everything new, Lord. You make all things new, Father. We don't have to reheat anything. We don't have to try to invent everything. Because you make everything new. So we honor you, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you for what you are doing in our midst, in us, through us, and for us. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. I thought we'd talk today about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Amen. Uh, because this is, is the, the, um, really the, the crowning, uh, uh, I guess you could say the crowning touch of man's uh, relationship with God is recorded in the Bible is is for us to be the temple of God for him to for us to be able to worship him the way he wants to be worshiped amen <clears throat> and that is in spirit and in truth and so we did talk a little bit about uh the what it meant to really worship God and and uh most of the examples of course we have are old testament examples they are shadows of of what we have now uh we are the temple of God amen that that physical uh tent that was moved and then the buildings that they erected have been done away with as the dwelling place for God and so he wants to dwell in the hearts of mankind and and that's that's a bonus in itself you know that he he secures our life by living inside of us that's our highest security the highest security you'll ever have in the world is the holy spirit indwelling in you amen and so uh god made uh uh a i guess an improvement on the original situation with the man and the woman because when God created Adam and Eve, he breathed the breath of life into them. They became living souls. But God is spirit. Amen. And so he wants us to worship him in spirit. And so what happened with the man and the woman happened because God was still continuing to develop them in his image. Amen. Now, he created them in his image, but just like us, we're not perfect in God. We're still being developed. And so it was the same thing with Adam and Eve. Even though they were created in perfection, they were still tested and challenged. Their their soul and their humanity was challenged by God's divinity, where God dwelt on the outside of them, and he would have fellowship with them, communion with them, uh, because there was no reason for him not to. They were sinless. They were holy, just like he was. But still, they had some, some, they lacked some of the ability that God had. Amen. So when, when the serpent came up to the woman and said, you will be like God, that was kind of like a half truth. Like he does with us. 
You understand what I'm saying? He'll see you, uh, you know, he'll see you, uh, challenging symptoms by declaring that you're healed. And he'll say, oh yeah, you're healed, but what about this? You see, he's always got a little crack in a door he can wiggle in to challenge your position and challenge your faith. And so when he told the woman that she would be like God, what he could see was that God was putting them to the test of making the right choice. Come on now. See, as long as you're pre-programmed to do everything right, you don't have any responsibility. See, when God said, I give you dominion, that means I'm holding you accountable to make the right decisions about the birds, the earth, the trees, everything I put. When I give you dominion, that means that you have responsibility for rulership. And if you're responsible for rulership, how can you do that without being able to make the right choice and the right decision? And so God, because man, uh, because God makes choices, he had to make man to be able to make choices too. That's why he put the that tree in the garden they weren't supposed to have. Because if, if everything is what you want and what you need, you don't have to make a choice about it. You just go out and get, get stuff because you're kind of like predisposed to get the right thing all the time. But when he put that other tree in the garden, in the midst of the garden, he said, don't touch it. What that meant was daily man had to make the choice not to touch the tree. In other words, you can have everything around here as much as you want. You can freely eat of it, but this one you can't have. And that's what made us like God. That's what put the crowning touch on it. The fact that we could make the choice consistently to go ahead and obey God. So when the enemy came in to tempt them, what he tempted them with was a half-truth. Amen? See, they were already like God, but they were still being challenged in the, in the, what I would say the crowning jewel of their creation was the, uh, free choice and the ability to make the right choice all the time. Like Jesus in the garden. See, that was a crowning, hey! <laughs> that was the crowning touch of his ministry and his making the right choice was making the right choice to either let this cup pass him or drink the whole cup. And so Adam and Eve had to drink the whole cup of being like God. And the crowning part was to consistently make the right choice all the time. They were doing good until the devil got slick and challenged them intellectually. How many people do you know run off and get to be a Muslim or whatever else they can get because they get challenged intellectually? See, you Christians are too emotional. You put a lot of stock in that faith stuff. How do you know this? How do you know that? How do you know how to go? So it's intellectual challenge that causes most people's downfall. Because your faith comes from your spirit. Your spirit is not an intellect. 
Your spirit has a mind, but it doesn't function like the carnal mind does. Amen. And so when, when we find ourselves getting challenged in these areas, it's, it's for the enemy to get an advantage over us. And so that we, we don't walk in, in harmony with God all the time. The, the devil hates love and he hates harmony. He wants to break that fellowship and harmony that we have with God. And he was able to do that in the garden through appealing to their intellect. Got me? Now, theologians will say stuff like, um, a man in the garden, they got in trouble over food. It wasn't about food. See, that's for all the fat shaming preachers out there. That one was free. First one of the year is free. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> because it wasn't about food. It was about image. It was about choice. It was about obedience. Huh? Sure. You'll see preachers who preach fitness and all that stuff and fornicate. And fornicating will take you to hell quicker than a hamburger will. Huh? I mean, there are more important things than just, they call it taking care of the temple, but if you're taking care of the temple, you watch what you see. Huh? You make a covenant with your eyes not to look at certain things and not process them in your mind to where you covet them and you desire them. Amen. That's what holiness is. It's got nothing to do with that burger you eat. Amen. You know, anorexics will tell you that. They eat what they want and throw it all up and stay thin. So food really ain't a problem or issue, to be honest with you. God can help you take care of that. He'll help you take care of all of it. But if you covet and you lose image of who you are, you start identifying with an adulterer and a fornicator and start living that life, that'll take you out of here backwards. You understand what I'm saying? And so God has ways of making sure we stay in the right flow with him and the right image with him. And so with the man and the woman, he had to crown them with the ability to make the right choice even under pressure. And many times in our Christian walk, that's where we stumble. You can make the right choice as long as it's easy to make it. See, everybody believes in divine health till they get symptoms. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we can even tell our, now all you got to do is have faith in God, believe God. Going around exhorting people, rebuking and correcting everybody. You understand what I'm saying? And, and we do that real well until it knocks on our door. Amen. And then you realize, you know, it's a little bit more to this thing than just 
confessing a little scripture for about 10 minutes and getting up and walking out of these symptoms. Amen. I might have to work with this one a little bit to, to get my health back the way it's supposed to be. And so we, 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 as believers, we have to make sure that we understand the consistency of the walk with God. That's what he wants. He wanted the man and the woman to train themselves to make the right decision over and over and over again. And that's what he's doing with us too. To make the right decision for him over and over and over again. To make it a habit, a discipline, a way of life. So that he can point to us as an example for somebody who's trying to stumble. See? And that's what he wanted for for Adam and Eve. He wanted them to consistently make the decision to serve him. Amen. Same thing with Jesus. When he went to the cross, he had to consistently, he made it down to the wire. And there was one more challenge that he had to face and make the right decision. Amen. And he had the option. You could see that from his words and from his prayer at the time where he had to to release all authority to the father. See? That right there is very important to God. It doesn't matter if you've been serving God X number of years and I just made that one mistake that one time. That that can be a deal breaker. Come on now. It was with Adam and Eve. Why not with us? See, he because God knows we can make the right decision for him consistently over and over and over again. Because your spirit man is powerful enough that you can train him and you can yield to your spirit enough to be able to make it across the finish line so that you finish strong for God. Amen. You just keep doing what you know to do. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to finish strong and finish in the things of God the way you start out. And so he's allowed us to experience all of the things that we experience in life. And yet at the end of the day, God, I still love you. I'm still going to serve you. I still have you number one in my life. I, I want to be available to you. What do you want me to do, Lord? And just put him first. See, if he's not first, he's not God to you. Amen. If he's not first, you don't have a covenant. That covenant reads, I am the Lord your God. Number one commandment, I am the Lord your God. You will not have any other gods before me. See, we don't develop the terms of the covenant. He develops the terms. So we have a covenant that obligates us to worship. We're obligated. Amen. It's not you worship him because you want to. Or because you felt something and you got quickened or you feel good when you jump up and praise and all that kind of stuff. And we're obligated to worship him. We, we have to be connected to him at all times. And that's how, that's how we connect ourselves to God is through worship. So, so Jesus then has this conversation. I guess I'll start there with the worship him in spirit and truth. I wasn't sure where I was going to start with it, but, um, if you turn to John chapter 4, and this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. <clears throat> 
there were many women at the well throughout the scriptures. Amen. That's where Moses met his wife. Uh, let me think. Rebecca was drawing water at the well. Uh, that's where the good girls hang out. Except for this one. Huh? Yeah. Amen. But she's looking for something and, and she'll find it. <clears throat> so it says here, um, <clears throat> let me go to that. John chapter four, did I say? I got a couple, I got a translation. I'm going to read both of them. I think this one. And hey, Miss Nola, if you want to get the elements ready, I, I'm, I may just have you, we might do that at any point. So I forgot to tell you, sorry. I did have the girls pull the bread out for you. So praise God. In John chapter 4, this is him in Samaria. I guess we'll start around verse 6. It says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat Thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me something to drink. Now, it was common for women to serve the men. They always drew the water out of the well, and it was common for them. It was a sign of hospitality. You know, don't get women's lib on me today, please, y'all. Just How come he can't get his own water? Because he ain't getting it. Act like you love somebody sometime. Thank you. Everybody else quiet. It's all right. It's all right. And he asked her for something to drink, for his disciples were gone away into a city to buy meat. So he was there alone. And they said the woman, then said the woman of Samaria to him, how is that, is it that you being a Jew, Asks of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that saying to you, Give me something to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Amen. So she doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah because she's dealing with him in a traditional way, in a carnal way. Amen. So you got to understand, before you come to a knowledge of Christ, many people just know him as histor- a historical figure. I know about Jesus. He's the Savior of the world, but he's not their personal Savior. So Jesus is letting her know that you need to be enlightened, in other words. And so the woman said to him, Sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. So from where are you going to give me that living water? She said, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus has said, answered and said to her, whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give them shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You got that right, sister? You well said, I have no husband. He said, For you have had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. In that you said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir... (laughs) I perceive that you are a prophet. Duh. Huh? Probably she was known as somebody who wasn't, you know, very, very high character. But nobody else but God knew about the five husbands. You got me? They know she was somebody now she married to, but she said, man, this man knows everything. Amen. Nothing held back. And he said, and she said, and he said, our fathers, she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you know what you don't know what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour's coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now the Samaritans were a people that were uh were they they lived side by side with the Jews. So very often they had some knowledge of the Jewish religion just from observing them. And you see she's kind of going back and forth with him, trying to tell him she knows as much as he knows about worship and about what's going on and all that kind of stuff. But she gets to a point where she hits a a blank wall, where her religion doesn't help her anymore and her cover-up doesn't help her anymore. And, And Jesus lets her know she has yet more to understand that more needs to be revealed to her. But she is interested in listening to him. So I was thinking about this, and I I read this other translation in the Message Bible, and it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm going to start at verse 15, where the woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. And so she's kind of challenging him or goading him or making fun of him in a way. And she says, he says, go call your husband and then come back. So what he's prepping her for is repentance and forgiveness of sins. Because in order to receive living water, you've got to live, lead the sinful life. Amen. So he's letting her know this is going to require a specific change in you 
that's going to make you live for God and not live for yourself anymore. And so he zeroes in on what's keeping her from living for God. And that's living in adultery. Amen. Jesus always gets your sin out of the way so he can get you into the kingdom. That's just the way it is. So when he starts dealing with certain people, you'll see that he zeroes in on what it is that's keeping them from receiving the kingdom. Like the woman that had the girl, this other uh, Syrophoenician woman that had the little girl with the seizures. She was another one that says, you treat us like dogs. Well, that was a sin in her heart. She had animosity against the Jew because she felt they had animosity against her. Well, her faith isn't going to push past that and she get a miracle from her daughter. So Jesus deals with her on that level. He said, yeah, we we can't give our bread to dogs because he knew that's what she thought. So many times he has to point that out to us. Just speak it out and then we locate ourselves where we are so we can get that out of the way. Confess that and get that out of the way. And so he says, he says, you, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet, she says. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? So she's a religious woman. She knows enough to sound like she knows God, but in her heart, she's not there. Amen. And he says, she says, he says, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. Amen. We Jews worship in the clear night of day, light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming, it has in fact come, when what you're called will not, what you're called will not matter. And where you go to worship will not matter. So Jesus is saying here, there's coming a perfect time where location won't make a difference. Where you won't be known as a Samaritan and we be known as a Jew. What's going to be important is that you have God living in your heart. And the way to get him living in your heart is through repentance and confession of your sins. So get rid of the the husband. Get rid of the fake situation at home and you can worship the father. And he says here, he said for your, it's you who are in you, it's you who are and the way you live. It's who you are and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. So what Jesus is saying is God is making a way for you to bypass Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, believer, in people, out people. None of that matters anymore. What matters is who you are before God. What matters is the condition of your heart. What matters is whether you're willing to give up the old life and submit to God and let God take you into this new way of worship. And he says to engage your spirit in the pursuit of worship and of truth. So what we do when we worship God, we, our spirits are engaged and we're opening up 
we're we're asking God to open up doors of understanding and doors of revelation, doors of power, doors doors that will of faith that will keep us going and strengthen us. And so he says the father, these are the kind of people the father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Amen. Just be yourself before God in your worship. And I thought that was like, that must have set her free. That had to have made an impact on her. In other words, what you're doing now in your life is not going to matter. When God's spirit comes and dwells and he's looking for people to let his spirit dwell in them. So he says, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer spirit itself, a sheer spirit being. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, out of their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Amen. And she says, I don't know about that. I do know the Messiah is coming. Here she goes with her religion again. When he arrives, we will get the whole story. And he said, I'm the one you're looking for. You don't have to look any further. In other words, I've given you the whole true story. Amen. So he witnesses the kingdom to her. He begins to let her know that there will come a time where it won't matter the physical location of anything that you do. But God wants true worshipers, those who worship him out of a free spirit, being who you are in the realm of the spirit, being what you what what God created you to be, allowing yourself to to partake of God's goodness and his ability. You know, it's like I I I uh, tease Chuck all the time about having too much fun in the worship for free. You understand what I'm saying? Well, that's what she's, she's doing this here. She's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. She's being who God created her to be in the worship. Amen. And there are some people who are just real quiet and, and, uh, lift holy hands. And I always think about Miss Ingrid. You know, she's always real conservative and dignified. That's just her character. You know, the way her personality is. Well, you don't try to put her in Chuck's personality to worship God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> Chuck would explode or she would, one of the two. But she lifts her hand and just enjoys herself and the Lord does that little bounce and it just makes you smile. To see how people are different in their worship. Amen. Some people are a little more explosive, you know, and, and, uh, you know, holla. Yes. And all of that. It's, it's from your spirit that God receives worship. Amen. It's not how you express it physically, but, but that you let God move you. Let the truth of God move you and let, let, let that thing be what it is that you want to do you know you you are the you are free to worship him in spirit and in truth amen so jesus breaks it down to in this unlikely situation uh this woman is not a jew there were some some truths that he was there for everybody and he proved that amen he was he god is the god of the jew and the gentile he's he's there for everybody and he proved that so so what he was outlining to her is that we are now the temple of god god is looking for a dwelling place amen 
our spirits cry, holy, holy, holy. Amen. And, and we recognize the holiness of God. So we are often awestruck by the presence and the power of God. If, if God don't move you, you can't be moved. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care how many sports, uh, teams you, you, you know, um, cheer on or, or how excited you get from one thing or another. Nobody can move you like God because he moves us deeply. <clears throat> Amen. When you're moved by the spirit, you're moved in a deep way. Amen. So true worshipers are what the father is seeking and he's looking for us. God is pure spirit. So our spirits must be alive in him. So he has to move in and bring new life and new energy to our spirits which have been vacated by the presence of God. Amen. So your spirit gets born again. When you come into a knowledge of God and you ask him to forgive your sins and you turn away from that old life, amen, and you turn toward God, then your spirit gets born again. So God is spirit, so our spirits must be alive in him. He gives the new birth to equip us to do basically one thing, and that is to obey that first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me, and you must worship me out of your spirit. I give you my spirit to dwell in your spirit so that you can make living contact with me through worship. Amen. Once you contact God, you got everything. Amen. You've got it all because you are connected to him in covenant. And, and that, that allows God to be able to orchestrate your life. He can teach you. He can instruct you. He can direct you. He can guide you. If you veer off track, He can draw you back. Amen. Through repentance and, and, and wanting to get your correction and understand which is the right way to go. Amen. We're still blinded a little bit. Amen. We don't know everything, but some of us have been walking with God for a while, but there's so many things that we don't know about him yet. Amen. We're still finding out. And and that's the adventure of living for God. There's still things to know. There's still things to excite us. There's still things to ignite us. There's still things to be revealed to us. And that's what he does through true worship. Amen. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth. To worship in truth means that there are, there are true doctrines about God that have to be observed. And, and number one is that he is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Once you locate that God, then you've got the real God. Amen. And, and, this, and he's a living God. Amen. You can't say, well, I believe Jesus only or Jesus is ahead of the Father. You can't just manipulate God to make it the way you want it to be. See, you're something about you is going to be off key. It's not going to be the fullness. It won't be what God has for you. So you have to worship him according to the way he instructs to be worshiped and believe the truth that he puts out there through his word. Amen. So we worship God the Father. Jesus is his son and savior of the world. And the indwelling Holy Spirit is how we are connected to the Father 
and to Jesus. So we must worship the triune God. True worshipers are desiring to know God through his word and through truth. Amen. They desire living contact with God. Amen. Once your sins are forgiven, your hunger is to keep that living contact with God all the time. It is. That's the hunger of your spirit, man. Now, your flesh might get in there and trick you into running off on a holiday in the flesh, but pretty soon your spirit is going to crave that living contact with God again. As the deer pants after the water, amen, your soul will cry out for the living God, amen. So so there is much to be said about uh, uh, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Psalm 119, if you'll turn there for a minute. I found a note that I had written to myself. I don't know. It was no date on it, but uh, it looked like I was challenging myself to take this psalm to heart. Uh, and it said, read it for 30 days. <laughs> the whole 119th psalm is about almost 200 verses to it. But it, it's what I found it helped me with was to solidify my confidence in God's word. Because it continually talks about how I love your word. People come against me, but I meditate in your word. Your word is everything to me. So Psalm 1997, it says this, How, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, have made me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. <laughs> Isn't that true? The devil sits on your shoulder trying to talk you out of whatever it is God has for you. He says, I have more understanding than my teachers. Oh, for your testimonies are my meditation. See, that's the price you pay for it. You get better understanding through meditating on God's word. Amen. He said, I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts so if you do the word and you obey the word that brings wisdom to you that brings knowledge to you brings understanding to you amen he says i have refrained my feet from every evil way that i might keep your word i have not departed from your judgments that you have taught me how sweet are your words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. So this is how God wants us to live. This is worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Meditating on the word, loving the word, challenging yourself to keep the word, to do the word, to obey the word, to allow the word preeminence in your life, in your heart. And in that way, Jesus has a preeminence in your life because he is the living word and he expects us to be familiar with the word. So God is pleased to dwell in us. He has found finally a resting place. Amen. So we glorify him with our worship. Amen. And with the things that 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 he has put before us. We need to know that when God left us communion, he left us an opportunity to connect with him. Amen. To connect with him in a way 
that's different from worship, that's different from anything, because it puts us in remembrance of his sacrifice. Um, the, 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 during the Old Testament temple system, and, and I believe that there are shadows there, I mean, likenesses there that are kind of undeniable, uh, there was the outer court, then there was the inner court, and you know the Holy of Holies. Now, only the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year. The outer court was where everybody could congregate. So that's like the world. You know, uh, the Jew was there, the Gentile was there, sinners were there, but in the outer court also was a place of sacrifice. So the animals were sacrificed in the outer court and blood was sprinkled on the priest to go into the inner court so that the sacrifice could be, uh, uh, the sacrifice could be honored so they were cleansed in the outer court, the door to the holy place, and then they entered into the inner court so that they could could worship there in a sense. Now, in the inner court, there was a uh, three things there. There was a table of showbread, and that showbread is really a foreshadowing of our communion bread. The showbread was kept there. It was called the bread of presence. And it was kept there all the time. There was never a time it was not there. It was 12 loaves of unleavened bread. So when you entered into the inner court, that meant that unleavened bread meant that you partook of a sinless food. Leaven always spoke of sin. When you took unleavened bread, that was a holy bread. Remember, David and his men were hungry, and the priest allowed them to eat the showbread, the Bible says, which was only legal for the priest to eat because the priest had been cleansed by the blood of sprinkling. So the showbread was an inner court provision. And the priests were allowed, they were, every Sabbath day, they would replace the old bread with new bread, but the priests were allowed to eat the showbread, but they had to eat it in the holy place. So if the communion table, the bread of communion is our showbread, then we come into the presence of God confessing our sins. Amen. No more animals to slaughter. Jesus paid the price for us to enter in, but we come in sinless. So that our, your sins are confessed. That's why the, the, the writer of the, of the, uh, communion instruction says, examine yourself. Amen. And when you examine yourself, God, let me know if there's any weight in me that is not right. And many times you'll know, God, I've been, I've been slacking off here. I've been doing this. I've been saying that too much. I've been hand, having too much to say about other people's business. You understand what I'm saying? Spouting off little worthless things. Sometimes it's the company we keep. Just can't break company with gossipers. You could be spending that time worshiping in him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Those things, amen, they defile the temple. Amen. You don't want to crowd God in 
with other defiling things. So that showbread being the first thing that the priest saw when he went into the inner court allowed him to partake of the body, the broken body of Jesus, the showbread with it being a, a, a unleavened bread. You've seen, everybody's seen matzah, that flat kind of bread. It's not very appetizing. Well, when they, before the bakers bake it, they, uh, scrape those grids. It's kind of rough looking. I mean, you don't just buy that because you said, mm, that looks good. I want to eat that with some cheese. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it was bruised on purpose. Amen. Amen. It was in, it was made to be broken so that it can be, you can, it showed that the body of Jesus was broken so ours could be made whole. Amen. It was a holy bread. It wasn't in it and being unleavened, it was, it had a purpose besides eating for enjoyment. When you ate that, you knew you were eating it for sustenance. For a holy purpose, it was different than the bread that you would eat just with a meal and to enjoy. And so when God set forth that table of showbread representing his presence, he said it has to be here all the time. You could never have a time where the showbread is not here on this table. That means that Jesus has been made available to us 24-7 all of the time. That we can come into his presence with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and partake of him. But he says, as often as you take this communion, I want you to remember something. And that is what I did for you. That I was ever present with with the Jew by by reason of the showbread. My presence was always there. That I made myself available to them 24-7. I was never, ever not available to my people at all. And so when when we recognize that and we understand that this is a holy bread, a holy partaking, that that we can renounce the things that may stand in the way or renounce things that we know. You ever come to a place you say, God, I know there's more. I, I, I don't know what's keeping me back from getting there. You got me? That's what communion's for. It's for the removal of the, of the, the stumbling block. It's for the removal of the mountain out of the way to enter into the, the sure presence of God. So what you want to do is partake of a, an element that makes God present with you. In other words, makes, makes Jesus real on the inside of you. And, and that's really what God has ordered with, with the, the, um, the communion table. Now also in the inner court was the, the, uh, menorah and that was to represent the light of God. It had to be burning all the time. And and so once you got into the inner court, you, you realize God is present all the time. He gives us light and direction. If there's something that you, um, God has told you he's going to do for you or you're standing on the word for something or something you really need from God, the light is there. So you can, through communion, you could get revelation from God on things that have been mysteries to you for the longest time. See, all of that breaks forth on us when we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus. When we 
we infuse ourselves with him and we let go of us, you know, be willing to turn around from, from goofy stuff we do. You know, it's, sometimes we're trying to be right too much. Well, listen, I'm going to go over to the why. I don't know if y'all are we the right people or not, but we're going to break this down. So, hey, you supposed to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified on your behalf so that you could be whole. Amen. Sometimes there are things that we want desperately. And, and oftentimes we don't have them because we're going about it the wrong way. Well, you can shop where you want to, but I think I'd rather be directed by God where to go. Amen? <laughs> but it is true. This is for turning your feet around and going in the right direction. See, you, you take communion so that you can let go of nonsense, stuff that doesn't build you up, it doesn't edify you. How much time I got, honey? Oh, excuse me. Oh, I got 30 minutes. But you know what I'm saying. Sometimes we do hit walls. You banging and banging and banging on that door and it don't fly open. Well, stop banging. Amen? And start understanding that you can get an infusion of his wisdom, his knowledge, his power. I have more understanding than my teachers. I have more understanding than the ancients because of your word, because of the life of Christ that comes inside me. I have more. Amen. Oftentimes we need to stretch ourselves out and get comfortable being patient, letting patience have its perfecting work on us. And that's a toughie. Because we want instant. Everybody wants instant everything. And, and the saints too. Amen. You know, we, we want it because we know there's gifts of the spirit around where we can have it instantly. We always snooping around for a word of knowledge or word of something that's going to bring it here faster. Amen. And so sometimes we need to just let it go and let God process that for us and bring it to us in the right way. So there are many things that the communion table will rectify, correct, adjust, infuse us with greater power, greater insight, revelation. It is Jesus himself coming alive in us again and again and again is the communion table. And so when we receive communion uh, right now, I think we can can begin examining ourselves, begin, God, where do you want me to be? You know, that's a good question. Where do you want me to be? I know where I think I should be, but where do you want me to be? What do you want me doing? How, how do you want me processing things? Where Where are you taking me in this next even 30 days, the next whatever, you know, uh, we need to know where we're going. So, um, let me see. So we're, we're on inner court time. Amen. We're, we're in the inner court now and, and partaking of the showbread. Amen. And, and his body, the, his body is broken for us and also his blood is shed for us. Amen. Which they did not have in the old tabernacle. So this is definitely a new covenant. 
So in, uh, do I want to go there? Uh, let me see. Luke. I think I'm going to Luke. I think I should be in First Corinthians, so I think I like that one better. What do I have Luke 22 here for? Yeah, you can start passing out the elements, ladies. Fine. Thank you very much. One Corinthians is that eleven twenty four or ten six? Okay, eleven eleven twenty. Okay, we can do either one, I think. But but this is Jesus actually eating the last Passover meal, where he was to be sacrificed. But we can go to First Corinthians. To what we say it was eleven twenty four. Thank, like I said. Eleven twenty-three. So Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, in other words, he made a covenant with people that he knew were going to turn on him. Amen. That should make you very confident and what God has done. And that should make you very brave. Amen. And that God has done this for us. And he says, now just hold on. And, and what we'll do is I'll, I'll have a time of reflection. We'll have a time of reflection where you really search your heart. If you know there's something you goofing around with, you ought not be goofing around with it. Just ask God to, you know, tell him you're sorry and say, God, deliver me. From this weakness, you know, many times we stay in one place too long because we like it. I mean, it can be anything. And so it's to we examine ourselves. And he says he you put it right here, honey. Yeah, thank you. And Miss Nolly, you can put my bread on my kerchief. (laughs) Yeah, you can do it. I'm good. He says. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So we partake of his broken body. Amen. That this is a sacrificial body. Amen. So we partake of this sacrifice. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Now, and he said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. He says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat of the bread and drink of the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Which means that really your, your, with the purpose of the communion was to wash you clean and set you on a new path. And if you do it unworthily, you don't get your cleansing. You don't get the new path. Amen. You just get a mind that's still hung over. And, and, and this is, this is why there's a lot of sickness still in the body of Christ. Cause this communion should heal your body. Amen. If you come to the Lord and you need health and healing, His body was broken for you to be healed. His body was broken for you to be set free from yourself. Amen. His body was broken. You know, some of us need to get rid of 
of just thinking about ourselves all the time. You understand what I'm saying? How how pleasant it is to commune with God on God's level, just on what God wants wants to talk about, what he wants you to think about. Get a new idea from him. Get something something new. But oftentimes our concerns weigh us down. You understand what I'm saying? And he, he says, cast your cares upon me. So if you have a hard time letting go of things, you know, you let go of it for five minutes and you think about it again. You know, yeah. I know I do. I'm guilty. You want to let it go because when you let it go, you know God's handling it. If you keep trying, once you start thinking about it again, you're going to start trying to think of a remedy and an answer for it. Amen. It's very tempting to do that. So it's good. God, God created us to be carefree. I mean, just thinking about things that are pure and lovely, a good report, praiseworthy, thankworthy. And, and communion helps clear the table of all debris. It sets a fresh table for us. Amen. You ever been to a restaurant and, and somebody just finished their meal and they tell you, well, we're going to clean this up for you. Wouldn't you feel better if there was a table clean already set before you came in there? Somehow we don't like to see what cleaning it up is like. You know, you feel a little slighted. You say, well, ain't I important? I mean, did you didn't know I was coming? How come you couldn't have done this before I got here? You understand what I'm saying? And and I think that's the way we can look at communion is setting a clean table. Amen. Everything fresh and new. God sets before us what we need and we can freely partake of it because of that cleansing, the inner cleansing on the inside of us. Where everything that's not right is right already. Amen. That unleavened bread, bruised bread comes into us. So the unleavened holy bread of Jesus's body broken for us comes into us afresh and anew to give us strength. His blood, which is represented really the blood of his resurrection is the Holy Spirit. So you get more of his spirit in his presence. The ever-present God in the old temple that brought light all the time. You know, it, the high priest was responsible to keep the light burning all the time. It could never go out. And that's what God wants for us. He wants to be the light in us, ever-burning, that never goes out. That there's always revelation. There's always guidance. There's always life in that communion table. So there were some things that I thought we could just renounce as a group to go forward and let God, um, let God infuse us anew. And these were things that just came to me as I was thinking, God, what do people need? What do I need? What do all of your people need? So, so what we'll do is, is, um, just allow God to come into our being, cleanse us out. And, and get rid of these things. So I felt it would be a good thing for us to start out. I just feel like God's telling us to believe him more for the impossible and to refuse the possible. You got me? So 
Just repeat after me. Father, I refuse the possible. I refuse the easy way. I refuse the way of the flesh. That's easy for me. And I embrace you. And I expect the impossible. Because things that are impossible for me are possible with you. Amen. I felt that. Okay, point number two is to get rid of doubt and and seek extreme faith. Faith that's going to take you out in the realms with God and allow you to come back with what it is that you absolutely must have. Amen. No, no, don't. What this will do is take your mind out of the realm of, of second guessing your prayer. See, God, I expect to be healed today. And, and don't change it. You got me? Uh, many times we'll, we'll break our prayer off at the impossible level and, and just amend it to the possible. Like, uh, God, I expect to make, uh, if you're a business person, you know, I expect to make a thousand dollars every day. And then you think about it, well, maybe that's too much. You say, well, 800, you understand what we're going to stop doing that. Cause see, that's, that's a, a, that's a method that the soul has of correcting God's word. See, God provides nothing but abundance. He doesn't provide, it's never just enough. His word speaks abundance all the time. It never speaks a little bit or just enough or if you get just enough, you'll never get ahead. And he wants us to prosper. Amen. That's why he takes us into abundance because he trusts us more because his son lives in us. Amen. So that's got to count for something. <laughs> Amen. So, so, so we're going to exchange doubt about God's abundance and provision and all of that for extreme faith. So we are going to cast down doubt and pick up extreme faith in all things, amen, and have that confidence that God will do exactly what his word promises. See, this is holding God to his word and not wavering, not flipping it over to make it in your realm of possibility, amen. You want only God's realm of the impossible, amen. So Father God, I exchange doubt in your word for your extreme faith in Jesus' name. So we can have his extreme faith. We can have the faith of the Son of God. Amen. I think the other thing we need to do is is understand the purpose of the showbread being an atonement for sin. And our attitude about things that aren't correct has to line up with his. And, and we can't wink at sin and take it lightly and, and let people abide with us that are not right. 
not right in their hearts, not right in their minds. We've got to live holy before God and live as examples before God. Amen. All right. Now, Father God, I will not wink at sin because holiness is my portion. In Jesus' name. Amen. In also, we need to speak life to things and curse death so that death does not reign in our midst at all. Anything that's, that's threatened, we can speak life into it and know that life will come forth. Amen. Because there's no death in us, no expectation of doom, no expectation of anything wrong. We only have life and energy in God inside of us. So, Father God, we renounce death. It will not abide with us. It is not our portion. And we speak life and eternal life to spring forth. In Jesus' name. So anything that's been damaged in your body, amen, we curse that death is trying to claim us in Jesus' name. And I speak life to my body. I speak wholeness and soundness to my body in Jesus' name. Amen. We use our words to rebuke evil and not condone it. Amen. We use our words to rebuke evil and not condone it. Amen. So, Father God, I rebuke evil in all forms. I do not condone it. I promote life, eternal life, in Jesus' name. Amen. And the final one is God commands us to love our enemies. This is the highest sign of a believer's life. That we are able to love those who despise us. We are able to pray for them to be blessed and do good and to do good to them from the heart. And this is something that's a challenge because we may have to wait for God to open the door for us to do good. Don't try to barge in there and do something to ease your conscience. Renounce your, your, your thoughts about them should be good all the time. So your conscience should be good to them already. And look for God to open a door for you to bless and for you to help and for you to not curse. Amen. There are many people, you know, we run into people all the time who have uh, left the ministry and don't speak well of us. And, And God wants us to be open to pray for them. You understand what I'm saying? And continue to pray for them when God puts it on your heart to pray for them. Amen. Uh, And just to love your enemy is the highest form of living that God has for us. That's what put Jesus into resurrection life and power. That he was able to on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When you can say that about people who have wronged you, then you've entered into that highest place of forgiveness. Because we still want to hold, oh, they know what they're doing. They know they ain't right. They know they treated me wrong. No, they don't know what they're doing. Because if they did, they wouldn't do it. If they knew the extreme damage they were doing to relationships, to their own souls, to their own progress and prosperity, they wouldn't do it. I know since I've been enlightened, I try very hard not to do no wrong to nobody, folks. Do you understand me? 
And so you've got to understand these things are important to God because this keeps us rising in the knowledge of Christ. It keeps us ascending into that place of the impossible realm where things that were once impossible to us are now possible because God is for us and he's on our side. Amen? So we're going to partake of our communion. Jesus said to remember him when we did this. Amen? This is how you remember him. Remember what's important, and that is that he wants to have fellowship and communion with us. He wants to be a part of us at all times. He wants to be close to us. He wants to lead your life and guide your life. He wants you to be joyful and happy in him and to be carefree. So why don't we partake of the bread? Father, we thank you that this is your broken body. Amen. It was bruised and broken for us. And Lord, we remember that you took the pain, you took the shame, You took everything evil that would come toward us. It cannot stay in our lives because of what you've done. So we take this broken bread in remembrance of you. Also the cup of the blood of the covenant, which was shed for the remission of sins. It was also shed to take away every remembrance of the old life. The weaknesses that we had to tolerate before we knew the Lord. Having a bad conscience about things. Now we can have a good conscience toward God and we can have fellowship with him unhindered. That's the best part about it, is to have living contact with a living God. You talk to him like you do your best friend. Amen. And that friendship with Jesus is so important because it sets the tone for successful relationships, successful friendship, restoration of relationships that are damaged and broken. We all want mended relationships. If you don't, you should. And you should ask God to set you on a path of mending that. Don't be afraid to reconcile with people. It's not as hard as you think it is. When God's in the midst of it, he'll get it done right. Amen. And so once we understand what God is trying to do to make us whole, to get us out of this self-consciousness about, well, I did wrong and I can never get over it, or somebody did me wrong and I, I can't forget it. or Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And this is how you do it. Amen. So for those people that you may have had a falling out with or or disagreement, most of it's a misunderstanding. If we would look and see how the devil set us up to misinterpret words, take them the wrong way. Amen. Anybody ever heard something wrong? You thought they meant it towards you to slight you and you found out that's not true. And if they did, you can forgive them anyway. But most of it's the devil distorts how we hear things. And we fall right into it because it's a familiar pattern to us. And we're accustomed to feeling sorry for ourselves because somebody said something that we heard the wrong way. 
You got it? Very common. And so we're going to make it uncommon in our lives. We're going to make it that we can assume and expect the best. God, they meant the best when they said that. They did not mean me any harm. And I forgive them. That's how love operates. Amen. So, Father, we drink this cup because you shed your blood. The blood of your son has been shed for us and pouring new life into us, cleansing us, healing us, taking away bruises, taking away sensitivities, taking away self-consciousness. Put us in a God consciousness where we don't have any guilt. We don't have any shame. There's nothing hanging over us for evil. So we drink this remembering, Jesus, that you poured out your blood in your life on our behalf. God's intention is for us to be made whole, to have soundness, to have purity, to have that same newness that he created us in, in the garden. He's been bringing us back to that in so many different ways, so many different opportunities and so many different tools. The washing of the water of the word, worship is the other part of it. So when we partake of God's spirit, then we are free to worship him in spirit and in truth, to worship him in purity and holiness, according to the word, according to what God set out for us, that we not miss anything, that we keep our covenant of worship with him. Amen. That's that's our obligation is to worship him. And once we are worshiping God and we keep our covenant, then the rest of it is granted to us. So if if we stay holy and stay pure, keep the temple of God pure and holy. Amen. I'm not talking about not eating a hamburger or making sure you go to the gym. That is so carnal. It's, It's revolting that church people would stand in a holy pulpit and tell that to God's people. You know, and I'm not saying that because I put on extra pounds. Listen, you keep living. You put everybody puts on some pounds once they get my age. You understand? But I'm working on it. Amen. So once you're working on it, you've given it over to God. Amen. You've done what you're supposed to do. Don't let the devil condemn you about these carnal things, but be more available to him in your inner man. Be more concerned about what your eyes desire, what your ears like to hear. Those things defile you. Jesus said, it ain't nothing. He said, what you eat don't defile you. And I'm not going to repeat what he said because he took take, took them to a good biology lesson. Amen. Amen. So it just passes right through you. But what defiles you is what you take in and keep. What you hear that's not right and you keep it. What you see that's not right and you keep it. And what you wind up desiring that you want and it's not right for you. Oh, he said, focus on that stuff. Amen. And that's how we live holy and pure before God. Worship him. Allow him to do everything he wants to do in your life. Just give him the freedom 
to, and it'll take you to places you never, never dreamed of before. Most of us, you've seen Amos 9.13 come to pass for you. Many of you, how many of you have? We live in that. We live in that consistent one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. You know, I was, I put my, uh, truck in the, um, everybody knows I drive an Escalade. It's 12, 13 years old. <laughs> but it's, you know, Cadillac. I like them cars. I'm, I'm like them elderly women that I used to see backing up in Heinen's. Oh, honey, I don't like to back up. I, it's hard for me to back up. Did I bump into something? They just cream the car behind them. I can't help it. This car almost drives itself. <laughs> so I say, I appreciate that. Almost drives itself. But I was joking with God and I said, well, God, I need a loaner car. I had to go borrow a car from the, you know, enterprise people. And, and I said, it'd be nice to get a Cadillac. Well, if you call and ask for one, they say, huh? How you spell that? Cadillac? What, you know, whatever. And so when I got there, first of all, they had to drive me there twice. I left my wallet in my truck that had all my stuff in it. You can't loan it to nobody. So they had to drive me back twice, and they were already short of help. And they were just so gracious and so kind. When I went to get in the car, and the steering wheel didn't move. I said, excuse me? Is this, what is this? And I was looking, and she said, well, it doesn't move. I said, honey, we got to give me something that moves. I got to have something. And so we looked around the lot, and she said, well, there's this one. Here's a Cadillac. So I had my replacement Cadillac for the one I had sitting up there waiting to get fixed. Amen? So I got an upgrade. She said, well, we might have to charge you more for it. When I got my bill, they had not charged me anything because I just feel like God gives you a free upgrade. Yes, your upgrade is coming. Amen. And so I, and I don't drive much. You know what I'm saying? That car sat there most of the time, but I had my, my odd car for their, <laughs> their, their situation out there. They always want to charge you cheap and put you in the smallest thing that they could find. And I could have fit into one of them other little cars. And I looked out there and I said, I want an American made product because I pray for that all the time. You understand what I'm saying? I, you don't compromise even on the little things. Amen? And I want something comparable to what I drive. You know, if they got Cadillacs on the lot, they try to hide them from you. You know, they help for special people. I'm here. You understand what I'm saying? I have arrived. God sent me to get that. Amen? That's nothing to God. It's just metal to God. You understand what I'm saying? People put value on certain things. But it was like one thing after the other after the other. The the repair that I needed, the guy found something that was a problem, a minor problem. But I had been smelling coolant for a while. And he said, oh, we found this. It's just a crack in this little little part here. He said, I figured we'd replace that too. So God does exceeding abundantly. See, he did what I told him needed to be done. But then he found something extra so that I wouldn't have to be concerned about. He takes care of everything, folks. Amen. If you'll just expect him to show up and move out of the way. When God shows up, move out of the way. Amen. You know, I didn't go in that that place demanding anything from anybody because God speaks for me. 
I don't have to go for bed and try to bogart people and make them get, you don't know who you messing with. Well, uh, they'll find out. <laughs> you will too. You understand what I'm saying? But, but God does those things for you, always exceeding abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. Because that's his calling card. He wants his kids to know that he's with them. Amen? And and he'll do the miraculous. He'll do the supernatural. I didn't want to rent a car for a whole week. And I told God, I said, God, please get this done in three days. And sure enough, it was that third day when it was all taken care of. And so he'll take care of these things. He wants to do it. He likes to show you his strength. He likes, it's no crime to say, God, I need this. God, could you do this for me? God, I would sure like it if I could. You know, that's, that's what he wants. He wants us to believe him for the impossible. Amen. So we all good for the coming year? I'm good too. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for giving us your son. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to partake of the unleavened bread of his body, that holy portion that cannot be taken from us. This will not be taken from us, Lord. It's our permanent possession. Jesus, you are our best friend. The friend that sticks closer than a brother all the time. We honor you. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If somebody needs prayer for something, you can, for show, come up. For show, for show. Praise God.